Well, how are you guys doing this morning? Uh, absolutely. It. Sunday morning is the best time of the week, isn't it? It's just so good to be in here. You know, it, it just kind of hit me, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of hit me that we have a chance in here to kind of be an oasis in the middle of, of, uh, of, of a land full of strife and division. You know, out there they can be divided. In here we're unified. Uh, out there there's drama. In here we have peace. Uh, out there there's anxiety and everything. In here we can have joy because we are the body of Christ and we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Amen? And so uh, things are just different when we are together as a church family. And so uh, just never forget that. God calls his people to be different, to be separate. And, and honestly, in this Context, being separate, being different means having peace, having joy, and actually enjoying life. Uh, that is actually how you be separate from the world out there. I, I just really have this, this burden on my heart that there is such a spirit of disconnection, such a spirit of disengagement out there. People are not getting together with friends. They are avoiding each other. They're just kind of sitting there and just in, in defeat it just seems like that people are just living in defeat right now. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it's the news. Maybe it's just that we, we're still shell-shocked from 2020. But whatever it is, I am actually counseling. I am proclaiming against the spirit of disengagement and defeat. And I'm calling the body of Christ to live in victory today. Because that is what God wants for us Today We're in a series called The Worship-Centered Life, where we talk about where worship is more than singing. Worship is more than music. Every time you honor God, it is worship. When you make a, a decision that is honest, when you tell the truth, that is worship. When, as, a, as a husband, when you embrace your wife, as a wife, when you embrace your husband, when you, that is worship. When you uh, raise children the way that God wants them to be raised, that is worship. Your home can be a place of worship without a note being sung. When you do what God wants you to do, even when it hurts, that is an act of worship. Everything is worship. That's what the whole purpose of this series has been. And so that is, uh, we're finishing it up today with my favorite one, which is the worship-centered giver. And the main thing is if you love Jesus, tithe, anyone can honk. But this is not a message about giving. It really isn't. It's a message about faithfulness. And, and it is really, I, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and we were discussing, we, we, we are, pastors are nerds, we love to get together and talk about the Bible, and we get into stuff that really no one else is really into, but we're just nerds, and we do that. And so we were talking about uh, the, 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 the Israelites' conquest of the Promised Land, and we got into this one passage, and, and it, it was just, it just kind of blew me away. <clears throat> and so I'm going to share that with you guys today. Uh, if you guys will turn to Joshua chapter 6. We're going to be there the whole time, except for this first one. Um, we, I, I have this, I don't know, this, this trouble in my spirit that so many of us have a, an adversarial relationship with God. We really do. Um, and point number one is this. We need to destroy the adversarial relationship many Christians have with God. Now, you're saying adversarial relationship. No, no, no. I love God with everything that I am. I, I, I get that. I get that, that that's what we want, and that's what we want to say because that we're, we're in church. But if we were really honest with each other and honest with God, we would say a lot of us have an adversarial relationship with God because a lot of us don't really believe. We say we do, 
but we don't really believe that God is going to take care of us, that God has our best interest at heart, or even worse, that God's best interest for us are not what we want. And so we have this adversarial relationship with him. And that's because this is what God wants for us. In Deuteronomy 15, 6, it, God says that this is his plan for you. This is it. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations but borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. In other words, that is the situation that God wants every one of you to be in. Maybe not ruling over nations, but out of debt, um, not under anyone's yoke, free. That is his plan for you. But most of us don't believe that. We say we do, but we don't. Our actions show that we really don't believe that, that that is what God wants for us, okay? And so most, if not, many if not most, Christians sitting in church today have an adversarial relationship with God. We don't really believe that that's what he wants for us. And it shows, okay? You don't understand this, that God is for you and not against you. Nothing in the rest of the sermon is gonna make sense, nothing, Okay? Uh, the blessing follows obedience, not the other way around. See, see, see far, far too many people say this. They say, God, I will follow you if you bless me. If you bless me. If, if you bless me and, and, and you do what I want you to do, then I'll follow you. And God says, uh-uh. No, no, no. You got it backwards. You follow me, and then I bless you. See, God says, see, you're, you're a tiny, little, insignificant, loved little you, little, tiny human, and I'm God. You don't know your right hand from your left. You don't know what's even gonna happen tomorrow. I do. And so I'm not gonna let you dictate the terms. I'm gonna dictate the terms because I'm God. And you follow what I want you to do because I know the future. I know the blessing I'm gonna have for you. But you have to, you have to follow me first, okay? And we follow him in his word, then he blesses. It's his way, not ours. And far too many Christians aren't okay with that. Uh, and because of that, so many of us are living in defeat when we could be living in victory, okay? Uh, and, and so God gives us clear instructions what to do. I want to turn to Joshua chapter 6 or 15 through 19. Uh, this is the this famous story of Jericho when, when Israel had come out of slavery and they had been disobedient and, and they had wandered in the desert for 40 years because even back then men wouldn't ask for directions. You know, uh, and, and so uh, they go to the city of Jericho and God tells them this. These are the instructions. It's clear what they're supposed to do. It says this, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on this, that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are within her house shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasure. So they, they, when, when armies would go into a city, they'd just plunder it. Well, Joshua has said, the Lord says, everything in this city, this is the first city that we're taking. As we cross the Jordan and we're going to enter the promised land, this is the first city and everything that you take belongs to God. Everything. Not one penny are you to take home for yourself. Everything belongs to God. That was the instructions, very clear. Remember, this was the first city, the first city. There are specific instructions, what to do with the first. You also know it as the tithe. 
First 10% of our income goes to God. It's holy to him. It's an act of worship. And this is why you'll see in this story. They absolutely destroy Jericho. The, the Lord gives them the city. The walls come falling down. They, they, they take everything. I mean, they, 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 they plunder the city. It's this inconquerable, uh, unconquerable city. They, the Lord gives them this huge victory. And everything that they take, plunder-wise, goes into the treasury. Except for one thing. And like we all learned in kindergarten, number three, there's always someone who messes it up for everyone else. There's always someone who would rather just do things his own way. Check out what happens. Joshua 7, verse 1 through 5. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, and son of, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So Achan sees everything. It's going on, and he, he probably plunders a house. He's got some gold and silver and everything. He says everything's going in there. And then all of a sudden, the wheels start spinning in his mind. Start spinning in his mind. And the reason I know this is because these are the same thoughts that enter my mind. What, does God need all this gold, silver? Does he have bills to pay? I got bills to pay. God doesn't. Why does God need this? Why should I give this to God? I'm the one that put my life at risk. I'm the one who put out the work. I'm the one who stormed the city. I'm the one who had to fight. I should keep what is mine, right? That's exactly what he says. And instead of giving everything over to God, he keeps part of it back for himself. He doesn't trust God. He doesn't trust what God says. He, he, he thinks that God is he's in an adversarial relationship with God. He knows exactly what God said to do. But he says, you know, I just don't think that's right. I think I'm going to keep a little for myself. After all the rationalizations, I got a family. I got a family to provide for. I've got all this stuff. God doesn't need it at all. And so he has the same relationship that about 94% of Christians have with God. Only about 6% of Christians actually give God what he commands. 94% of people in church that call themselves Christians don't tithe. They don't give the first to God. Only 6% of people do. So we got a lot of Achans in the world. He doesn't trust that God will provide. See, the heart, the Achan breaking heart I asked J.K. to sing that song. He said no. <laughs> I, I really wanted to do that today. But he's got all his reasons, all his justifications, all the, everything that people still say today. Nothing's changed. But notice something. Who did God's anger burn towards? Was it Achan? No. It was the whole nation. The whole nation. The whole community. All the people. Verse number four is this. Everybody write this down. Your actions have consequences for those around you who stay faithful. That's what we learn here. Verse two, look what happens next. Remember, they, they were entering the promised land. There's a land that was promised to them 400 years before they even, before they even and came in, okay? So they take Jericho, and Achan keeps some of the stuff, doesn't devote it all over to God, okay? Look what happens next. Joshua sent some men from Jericho to Ai. These people back then were really creative with their city names, Ai, okay? 
which is near Bethaven to the east of Bethel. He told them, go and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied on Ai, spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men most to take it and do not weary the whole army. Or only a few people live there. So they had overwhelming army, overwhelming military advantage. Okay, so about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone cords and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear, became like water. Okay, so in other words, the Israelites were defeated after this huge victory. They shouldn't have won Jericho. They should have won Ai, and, and God gave them a huge victory in Jericho, and nothing in Ai. They got beat. 36 people were killed. And the whole camp melted in fear because of it. What, what is God doing? Why in the world? Is, it, it, where, where's the victory? Where's the same God that knocked down the walls of Jericho, they ask? Well, Joshua 7, verse 20 through 26, they find out what has actually happened. Check this out. Achan replied, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw the plunder, a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, sons and daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, his tent and all he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will bring, tr bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day, and the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the valley of Achor ever since. Listen, people, your actions have consequences to the people around you. We think in America that our faith is this personal thing. It's not. Our disobedience to God has, has major consequences to the people around us. There were three groups of people that were affected, three sets of people. First, it affected the entire nation. 36 soldiers were killed. Think about this. These were men with families. There were 36 widows, multiple orphans created, Achan didn't think about that when he was keeping that stuff for himself. He wasn't thinking about the other families and everything that would be affected by his sin, by his disobedience. And so many of us don't think about that either. We think it's just a little disobedience for us. It won't affect anybody else. But it does. Scripture's telling us the disobedience in the church affects our entire nation, you all. When we don't stay true to the word of God, when we do not do what God says to do, when we have clear instructions what we're supposed to do, and we just decide, nah, I have this adversarial relationship with you, I don't think that way is best, I'm just gonna kind of do my own thing, it has major consequences for us all. That's what this scripture is telling us. It affects your church, it affects your place of business. How many communities, I wonder, are living in defeat right now because of the disobedience of one or two people? It affects the whole nation. Second thing, though, it affected his family. Let's bring it a little bit closer to home. His disobedience affected his family. And if you don't think that your disobedience to God affects your family, you haven't been living long enough. Okay? When Jonah was running away from God and got on the boat, when God called him to go preach to Assyria, 
and he ran away. There was a huge storm, and everybody, 300, 300 sailors, were about to die too. See, when we run from God, when we are disobedient to God, it affects everyone around us, our families especially. Our lack of faith, our lukewarmness, lack of trust we have in God totally affects our families. You know, it's raining outside today, and what they told us in seminary is every time it rains, about a third of your people won't be there. And I, I, I began, I, I, I was astounded by that because the family I grew up in, rain didn't stop us for anything. We used to go hiking in the rain. When I played soccer, man, unless it, it, we were dodging lightning bolts, man, we still played. We, we didn't stop for anything. And so it was astounding to me when I found out that people stayed home from church when it rained. And I thought to myself, how in the world, why in the world are people so wimpy like that that they can't come to church when it rains? And I realized, well, that's what they watch their parents do. And that's what they watch their grandparents do. They learn that. Your disobedience and lukewarmness affects your whole family, you all. You know, um, there's disobedience to God in your home. Your family will feel it. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. When I was in seminary studying youth and family ministry, they taught us a thing called the fourth generation fade. Check this out. Fourth generation fade is this. Number one, parents don't make church a high priority for the kids. All right, well, the kids grow up and make it even less a priority for their kids. Hey, we're still in church, though. We're still in church. We're still doing good, you know. We're once a month, Christmas and Easter. We're still okay in the second generation. In the third generation, though, those kids grow up and make it no priority for the kids. And by the fourth generation, kids grow up with no concept of God. See, guys, disobedience to God affects more than just you. It affects your family. Um, it, it's, uh, it, it's amazing. If there's disobedience in your home, is killing your family. I want you to take stock of, the, of, of your actions, and I want you to realize that every time you say no to God, when God calls you to do something, or God calls you to a higher plan, he calls you to follow you, and you say no, it affects your family. Ask any addict if their actions have affected their families. Ask any alcoholic if their actions have affected their family. Ask any person going through a divorce if their actions have affected their family. We all know it. Any disobedience to God has more to do with the people around us. Aiken's entire family, his entire line was killed because of his actions. Third, it affected him personally. It cost him his life, but it also cost him his reputation, his legacy. I just want to ask Aiken, if I, if I could have Aiken right here, I, I would ask, man, was it worth it? Was, was that, those few shekels of silver, was that robe, was that bar of gold worth all of it? Was it worth the deaths of 36 men and, and the creation of widows and orphans? Was it worth it? Was it worth your whole family being wiped out? Was it worth it? Was the little bit of material gain that you kept back for yourself, was it worth it? Probably he would say no. Was your potential profit off the stuff you took? that belonged to God, was it worth it? No, it wasn't. But see, here's the thing. People right now are just hearing money. It's not about money at all. It's not about money at all. It was his lack of trust in God. It was a lack of his belief that God would provide, that his way was best. That is the whole thing right here, that, that Achan didn't believe that what God said would be best. 
And that's the thing that we are dealing with in the church right now, that even though we call ourselves Christians, do we really believe that God's ways are best? That's the question. His lack of trust in God resulted in the entire community living in defeat. And I just wonder, is a church in America, is Catalyst Christian Church living in defeat because of the disobedience of some of the people? I wonder, is the American church right now languishing in lukewarmness, unable to make converts, unable to disciple the people, unable to affect our community, unable to baptize the lost because of the disobedience of a few people? Are we living in defeat because of it? That's certainly what this passage would indicate, you all. But remember, see, God had huge plans for Israel, huge plans. This was the land that was promised to Abraham and all his descendants. He was bringing it into being, and Jericho was the first one. And he said, give it, get everything to me, because check this out. It was a land flowing with milk and honey, blessing upon blessing upon blessing, and they were missing it because of the faith of, lack of faith of one man. When Joshua rids the community of, of the cause of the trouble, now 100% of the people were faithful to God. Check out what happens next. Check out this. That's where it gets good. Faithfulness first, blessing second. Joshua 8, 1 through 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, after Achan and his breaking heart were gone, the, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you. Go, and set up and, go up and attack Ai, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except, there's a huge except, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. That was his command after every city they took. They gave God what was first in Jericho, and then God opened the whole land for them to take everything from every city. No more did God say, even give me a penny. No, he said, you give me what is first. You, you show me that you trust me, and I will throw open the floodgates of blessing for you, something you would never, ever dream of, Joshua. But you have to do things my way. That's the kicker. And so many of us will never experience that blessing. We will never ever see the floodgates that God has for us because we won't take the first step of obedience because we're living in an adversarial relationship with God where we don't believe his ways are best. I see it all the time. It's time to stop living in defeat, church, and start living in victory. We have to do things God's way. If they had taken Jericho and they kept everything for themselves, said, you know what, God, you don't need this, I do. I'm gonna keep it for myself and spend it on myself. They would have stayed in Jericho and never, ever seen they lived in defeat the rest of their lives. And I wonder if that is exactly what so many Christians are doing today. Not doing things God's way, closing themselves off from the blessing and the purpose that God has for them. See, guys, when they were faithful, when they were faithful, God opened the floodgates of blessing, all right? We have to trust him. We have to do things his way. We have to surrender our will. We have to stop this adversarial relationship where I know better for myself than God does. We have to stop that, and we have to trust him, and we give him what is first, and then he blesses. Can't circumvent that process. Number six, God gives victory to those who trust him. He gives victory to those who trust him. Joshua 11, 30, 23. This is several chapters later, after the whole conquest. Look what it says. That Joshua took the entire land. 
This is the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions, and the land had rest from war. Joshua took the whole land because he was faithful at the first one. God gave him the entire rest of the land. Okay, honestly, you all, I'm just tired of half-hearted living. I'm tired of watching people live in defeat. I am so tired of watching Christians have no victory over sin. People that have struggled with the same sins for years or decades, no victory. I'm tired of Christians having their lives look exactly like non-Christians. Same values, same problems, same everything. With no, it's, it's like the Holy Spirit isn't even there. I'm tired of people throwing up their hands and saying, oh well, that's just the way it is. We're just gonna live in defeat. We're gonna keep doing things our way, but that, we're just gonna live in defeat. See, human beings are, stra- are the strangest creatures God ever created. We're the most adaptable creatures that have ever lived. And we can, that's why some of us live at the North Pole, some of us live at the equator, some of us live in the mountains, some live in the valleys, some of us live on the beach, some in the mountains, some of us live in Nicholsville, and everybody else is terrible. <clears throat> but we are the most adaptable creatures And when life, when we experience defeat, we just kind of adapt to it. We just kind of say, yeah, that's the way it is. Yeah, life sucks and you die. Yeah, Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation, except people aren't quiet about it anymore. People are vocal about how desperate, how desperation they are. People have adopted anxiety as, 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 a, as a child and allowed anxiety to move in. And they talk about it like a, like a child or a pet. My anxiety, my anxiety, oh, my, my anxiety. That people talk about it that way. Don't you understand that's something you're supposed to have victory over? That's something that God is supposed to set you free from? The Bible says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God, and God will replace that anxiety with peace. That's what the scripture says. Yet so many Christians just live in that defeat. I'm tired of it, you all. It's time for this church to start living in victory, because this is what God has has for us. God has an entire land for Israelites to possess. He blesses them with it because they were faithful, because they did things his way. I wonder what would happen, church, if we simply took God at his word and did what the Bible said to do. It did what God said to do. What would it look like? It's amazing. Now's the time to stay faithful, church. Now more than ever, we need to go harder towards God. It's time to become more faithful, more devoted, more obedient to Christ, not less. I don't particularly care what the rest of the world is doing. I don't. We're the church. We're not the world. We're the church. And I hear research after research after research saying, oh, people aren't going to church as much. People are, 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 aren't, aren't uh, as faithful. as." They. Why do we have such low expectations? We're told as pastors, just to, that's just a new reality. That's just the way it is. That's the new normal. And I thought to myself, how, how, how low-sided that is. Why do we have such low expectations for people who call Jesus Christ Lord and Savior? Why do we have such low expectations? Why do we set the bar so low? I don't get it, but we're the church, and it's time for us to be more obedient. The further our culture drifts from the Bible, the brighter the church's light will shine. The darker The darker the darkness is, the more a single light will shine. Guys, that's what God has called us to do. 
See, now is the time to stay faithful because God blesses faithfulness. When Jesus was teaching the people by the seashore, people were crowding around him. And Peter, one of his disciples, had fished all night, caught nothing. He was, he was living in defeat. He had nothing to take to market. He had no food for the day. He'd been frustrated. Any of y'all ever had a day at work where you work 12 hours and you accomplish absolutely nothing? Absolutely not frustrated. You know what, what, what kind of mood you're in. It's terrible. You walk in and, and you have nothing but adversary. You, no, you made no deals. You made everybody who called gave you problems. It was just a waste of a day. That's exactly what Peter was, was feeling. He's washing his nets. He'd been fishing all night. He was wanting to go home, go to the house, kick up his feet, and rest. And Jesus says, Hey, Peter, um, I need you to do something. I'm going to get in your boat and I need you to put out from the shore. Peter's like, You've got to be kidding me. Seriously. All I want to do is go to the house. I'm about, to, I'm about to hear it from the wife and from the kids. We don't have any food for the day. And you want me to go out in the boat? But he says, all right. So he does it. And Jesus teaches the people, and he dismisses the crowd, and Peter's like, finally, I get to go to the house. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Peter, I want you to put out over there in where the deep water is. And Peter's like, all right. So he goes over there. He goes, he's out here all night. I know it's out here. It's a bunch of water. What do you need now, Jesus? He goes, put your nets over. And Peter says, okay, first of all, here's a carpenter telling a fisherman what to do. Any of y'all ever had people that are not in your profession try to tell you what to do? Yeah, yeah it happens to me as a pastor all the time. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, uh, put your nets over. And, and, and Jesus says, Master, we fished all night. I've been fishing these waters since I was a boy. I know that when there ain't any fish at nighttime, there sure aren't any during the day. I know that. I'm a professional fisherman. You're a carpenter. If I need my boat fixed, I'll call you. But Jesus says, I mean, Peter says this, we fished all night, caught nothing. Yet, and I love this, he says, because you Say so. I'll do it. Peter did something that went against every instinct, every thought, every lesson he'd ever learned about fishing simply because Jesus said to do it. And what happens? There's a miraculous catch. He, the, the nets are so full that as he tries to pull it in, the boat starts to sink. It's like, whoa, you blessed me a little too much there, God. He calls his, all the other people, hey, come on, come on, help me out. And these other people paddle out, and they, and they have to share this huge catch of fish. But how many times did Peter have to say yes to Jesus before Jesus blessed him? Three times. He had to get in the boat. He had to put out in deep water. He had no benefit to that whatsoever. So you may be right now in a season where God has called you to do things that don't make sense that, and you're seeing no blessing from it. You're seeing no, nothing but trouble, nothing but heartache, nothing but work. You may be in that right now because there's a blessing on the way, but God is calling you to be faithful. That may be with a season you're in right now. I wonder what would have happened if, G, if Peter would have put out to deep water and Jesus says, throw the nets over, and Peter says, I'm out of here, and gone back. He would have said, I guess God has abandoned me, like so many of us do. I wonder if that's the season of life we're in right now, church. Be faithful. And God provides the blessing. Someone asked me, how long do I stay faithful? I mean, what if I, what if I follow God and get nothing but trouble? I said, well, why are you following God? Why are you staying faithful? Is it so you can get a blessing? Well, that's wrong attitude. You're faithful because he's God and we're not. 
We're faithful because we, he loves us and he wants his best for us. Uh, it doesn't matter if he ever blesses us, it doesn't matter. We do what he says, we're faithful, and when we have that attitude, not some type of a contract, okay, God, I did this, now you owe me. If you have that attitude, don't expect any blessing at all. But if you go to God and say, you know, God, you're, you're God. I mean, I'm, I know you, you, you want what's best for me, so whatever happens, God, I know that, I, I know that what, whatever you're doing is best for me, so whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. That's when God says, all right. I can work with this person. No reservation, no holding back, no keeping, not, not uh, well, I think I'll follow this one, not, nope, no reservation at all, straight following God. He says, I can actually work with this person. See, guys, when it comes to tithing, when it comes to offering, when it comes to being a worship-centered giver, it's not about money, it never has been about money. Never. People like to make it that way, but it's not about money at all. It's about faithfulness. It's about do I believe that God wants to put me in a place where I, I am lending to many but borrowing from none, that I am ruling over but not being ruled over? Do, 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 do I believe that God wants what's best for me? See, guys, that is the question about being a worship-centered giver. It's not about money. God doesn't need money. He can, he can print money. Do you really think that in Jericho, God needed the bronze and the silver? What was God going to do with that? He doesn't need it. What he was doing is saying, will you trust me? Will you give me what I know that you need? I know you need it. I know you got bills to pay. I know you got to feed your family. I know I, I get it. I made this. I made you. I know what's going on. Do you trust me is the question that God is asking. The greatest act of worship people can give God. The greatest compliment you could ever pay God is not singing on Sunday morning, although that's awesome. God loves it when we sing to him. Even if you can't sing, he made your vocal cords, he gets it, okay? He gave some of us talent, some of us not. That's the way it is. He gets it. But the greatest compliment you can pay God is to trust him. The greatest compliment that my children can pay me as dad is trust me. The greatest compliment you can pay any human being is to trust them. There's no compliment greater than that because that's a statement about their character. That's a statement about your relationship that says that you are worth following. I believe you. That's the greatest compliment you could ever pay someone. So if you really want to worship God, I love singing. Guys, I'm a musician. I love it. I love musical worship. Uh, God used that to call me to him. When I found out that God loved music, that, that was the first thing we, I, I realized we had in common, and that drew me to him. I love it. But guys, the greatest compliment you can do is trust. It's to do what he says when it doesn't make sense. That's the greatest compliment. And God says, give me what is first. I'm God. Do things my way. I have the entire land to give you. Whatever the entire land looks like in your life, he's got the entire land to give you and I'll give you victory wherever you go. Or God says, or you can do things your way, like you've been doing. Take the first fruits for yourself. Live in defeat. Wonder why life is so hard. Wonder why nothing ever works out. Wonder why you can never have any victory over sin, any victory in your home, victory over anything. You can do that too. That's your choice, God says. Faithfulness, church. I wonder if this story of Israel is literally what so many of us are living right now.
Some of us have given the first and, and he's opened the land for us. Others are, are just keeping it back because we just don't trust God. And we're living in defeat. Faithfulness, church. I'm calling us to faithfulness. To trust God with everything. Starting with our finances. There's an entire promised land of victory waiting for us. Faithfulness and trust are the key to it. So I want to ask you, will you, by the power of the Holy Spirit today, destroy the adversarial relationship you have with God this morning? Will you do that? Will you allow God to break that spirit of disobedience in you and trust him? So remember, Deuteronomy 15, 6 says, For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations and borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. That's where God, that's what God wants for every person in here. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, church, and those joining us online, I'm calling you to break the spirit of disobedience, to break the spirit of disengagement that has haunted us too long. Let's stop living in defeat. Let's start living in victory. His way. His will. His way, church. God bless you. I love you. We'll see you next Sunday. Bye-bye.